0: is this my light yeah because i can't read (laughs) oh perfect thank you that will work awesome all righty so let us start with a word of prayer let us bow our heads dear jesus thank you so much for this wonderful day you have given us lord Thank you so much for the Sabbath where we can come together in your name and worship in your house and to be blessed as we study and as we learn more about all that you have done for us, Lord. And now as we're going to be starting the next part of our service here, Lord, I just ask that you will ha- send the Holy Spirit on me and on my hearers, Lord, so that we can be blessed, so that we can go deep into your word today, Lord, and just see all the treasures that you have given us. In Jesus' name, Amen all righty so please forgive the powerpoint i literally wrote this sermon in a couple of hours so if there is spelling errors i do apologize so i have titled this um talk go deeper so if i tell you to go deeper what does that mean for you if i ask you to go deep into something Learn more, study more. more I'm sorry? Get more involved. involved. Yes, thank you. So um, this sermon that I wrote was a summary of the Bible studies that I have been doing in the book of Malachi. So we're going to be spending most of our time today in the book of Malachi. So let's all go to that book. It's in the Old Testament. The book of Malachi. It is the last one of uh, the last book of the Old Testament. book of Malachi. I prefer the other one. Oh, really? Okay. All righty. Okay, thank you. All right, so the book of Malachi for me was a very interesting book. I don't know how many of you guys have studied this book, but the book is set up in a very unique structure in that God is bringing up an issue in his people and then his people respond by denying it and then god has to show evidence showing like oh this has happened it's almost like almost like this um like they're in a court session and god is saying you have wronged me in this and then just like the opponent they're going to be or the one who's trying to defend himself is like no i didn't like what do you mean And this whole dialogue occurs through most of the book of Malachi. And I just wanted to bring up a few verses here um, that are actually really sad. Um, It's actually found in the first two verses of Malachi. It starts off with the introduction saying, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So here you see that there is this burden that God is trying to Um, or he gave to his prophet to tell to the people. And it's so sad. His first um, burden is in verse 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet the people said, how have you loved us? Think about that verse for a moment. God is here starting the book by saying, I have loved you. And the people respond like, how? Like, really? And in in my mind, it wonders to me, what must have been the state of this people that they doubted God's love, that they doubted what God has done for them? And then as the verses go through, it's here, God starting a dialogue, I did this for you, I did that for you. Was I not faithful in this? And that is the entire book of Malachi is this argument where God is saying, I have done this. And the people are like, no, you didn't. And God is trying to say, yes, I have. It's, and then it's so sad how as it goes on and on, you see how many things this people were doing wrong. And as I was studying this book This book is actually pretty well known to Adventists. There's a lot of famous verses in this book. Um, Just go to, let me see here. I think Malachi verse three, uh, Malachi chapter three, verse one. I think all of us know that verse pretty well, where it says, "I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me." Who was this messenger? John the Baptist. Yes, this is a famous verse. Or how about in uh, the same chapter, chapter 3, verse 6. Verse 6, what does it say? For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. What does that verse say? It's here saying, like, because God does not change, because God has been faithful We're still alive. We're still here breathing. Here God is showing like, because I have not changed, because I have done this, because I have done that, you're still here. I haven't destroyed you. But there's so many verses here, and I'm sure we could spend weeks just on the book of Malachi, um, especially if you go verse by verse. But I wanted to focus on a particular verse that I think as Adventists we learned from a young age. And that is Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. That was the one um, that they read for the verse. And it it reads, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now with this, says the Lord of hosts, if I would not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out to you a blessing. So, This verse to me is very well known to me. I remember when I was a little girl, how I thought I knew this verse. Because I remember when I earned my first dollar, I earned my first money, how my parents sat me down and they taught me this verse. And they're like, you need to remember that whatever money you earn belongs to God. Like I remember them teaching that to me. I remember in Pathfinders, how this focus on remember that what we have was given to us. It is not ours. It's a gift that God has given. And I spent most of my middle school years and high school years not really thinking deep about this verse. In my mind, I thought I knew it. I'm like, okay, if I do what God has asked, I'll be blessed. I'm like, okay, that's pretty simple. A plus B equals C. But it wasn't until recently, um, I think, when did I start Bible studying? I think it was like maybe about four or five years now where I decided, where I think God impressed me that I needed to go deeper into Scripture, especially on the verses that I thought I knew. Because I'm, I think God was telling me, like, there is a blessing even in the verses you think you know. So we're going to be spending more time um, with this verse Just because what I want us to do is is just to see how much God has packed in this simple verse. There is so much blessings in here. So our plan for today, let's see. Is my PowerPoint working? There we go. So our focus today is going to be Malachi, specifically verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, but we're going to be spending a lot more time reading other verses in the book. But this is what we're going to be doing first. We're going to be focusing on a few of the words that I noticed in my study that really opened up the verse to me. It made it feel alive. And then after we study a few of the words, we're going to focus on the phrases, like what the phrases mean and the depth of them. And then afterwards, we're going to do like a summary of what this talks about God's character and what it tells us about ours. So let's start with the first section. All right, let's start with the specific words. And I only chose a few words because if I wanted to break down the blessing in every single word, we would be here all day. So I only picked here a few. So this is the first phrase, bring ye all the tithes. Now, you'll see here that the first word that I want us to focus on is the all. What does all mean to you? The entire thing, the whole thing. I always think of a story that they taught us in nursing school, or actually not the nursing school. It was was actually in the hospital when they were giving us safety training. And in the safety training, the goal for us to plan on what to do if there was an emergency and we had to evacuate, the plan was what did we have to do so that we could rescue everybody? If we had to evacuate our floor, what would we need to do so that we could make sure that not a single patient would be left behind? And I remember our nursing manager, he, uh, he was telling us, it's all of them. You're going to rescue all your patients. You're not going to leave one of them behind. Because that's against what the nursing code is, to protect someone else. So I always think of here of what were to happen if, let's say that there was a fire and we had to evacuate, and we had 20 patients and we rescued 19 of them. We saved 19 people. And then that one person that we decided not, or the one person we didn't rescue, what are we going to think Mentally. Like, oh, it's good. We got most of them out. That's great. I'm happy. No. For us, even if it's just one left, we're going to focus on that one. We're, gonna, we're not even going to think of the 19 we were able to get. We're going to focus on that one. And here, when I was looking at bring ye all the tithes, and this is God speaking, it made me think that there were people who were not bringing the whole tithe they were not bringing all that they should have brought and then as i was studying this one word i was trying to find in the bible is there a story in the bible where somebody did not bring all to god that they should have what story is that yes so we're actually gonna look at that story let's look at it let's all turn to acts five Let's go to Acts 5. And we are going to read this. And if I have any volunteers to read, that would be awesome. But I'll just wait. Uh, Acts chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. But a certain man named Ananias... With Sapphira, his wife, they sold a possession, and he kept back part of the price. His wife was also aware of this, and they brought a certain amount, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back a price of the land? While it remained, was it not yours? And after it was sold, was it not still in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have lied not unto man, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down. He gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all of them that heard these things. And the young men arose, and they wound him up and they carried him out and they buried him that was part 1 there's a part 2 and it was about that space of 3 hours after when his wife not knowing what was hap- what had happened came in and peter answered unto her tell me what did you sell the land did you sell the land for this much and she said and she said yes it was for that much then peter said unto her how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her forth, and they buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. So a story we know very well. But it just amazes me of how severe God saw this situation. So in the time of the Acts, um, a lot of people were selling everything they had to give the money to the church so that they could use that money to bring more people into the church to spread the gospel. Basically, they were giving money to do the Great Commission. And here it says in the story that Ananias said that he had given all he had to the church. But was this the truth? No, they held back a portion. They held back a portion that was not theirs, or at least they said was not theirs. What was wrong in this story? Like, what did Ananias and Sapphira do wrong? There was a lot wrong that happened here, a lot of mistakes that began. They promised something, they promised God something and they did not keep it what else they changed their mind and yet ironically it says here Peter says it was your money you didn't have to give it but what else did they do they lied and it was amazing how here he was saying like you didn't just like you didn't lie to your fellow church members you didn't lie to the people who would have benefited from the whole money you lied to God can we lie to God? <laughs> we try. We, we, we think we can. But the truth is we can't lie to God. Who are we actually lying against? We're lying to ourselves. We're making ourselves feel good when in reality we are lying. And I find it here amazing how this simple act which in my i remember growing up and reading this story and i'm like man they were so harsh like just scold them and tell them not to do it again like why did it have to cost them their life but i think that this story was a warning this was a warning to us this was a warning back then and it's a warning to us telling us how important it is to keep our promise to god to thank him for what he's done, to remember that what we have in the end is not ours, it's his. But it was just amazing to me about that. But anyway, that was one uh, example of the Bible of someone who did not bring all that they had to God. But there's something else that that can mean as well. What if we brought what God has asked, but we brought the wrong thing? What if we brought the wrong thing? So I want us to turn back to Malachi. We're going back to the book of Malachi because there was something more going on than just not bringing all the tithe. It wasn't just that they weren't bringing what they were supposed to bring. They were also bringing something else. So let's go to the book of Malachi again. And we're going to be reading, hold on. Let me give you the verse so you can look it up. Malachi chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 14. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 through 14. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? So here God is again accusing his people, of another type of sin. He is telling them, like, you call me your father, but you're not giving me the honor of a father. You call me your master, but you do not respect me like one. And then he continues on, and it reads here, "Uh, O priests that despise my name, and you, like, so here God is giving them the accusation, you have despised my name. What does it mean to despise somebody? Hate, loathe, um, disrespect. um, I mean, attack their honor. It's, it's, It's a horrible word. It's a horrible word. And here God is saying, you have done this to me. And again, this dialogue occurs where the people are like, but how? How have we done this? And then he goes on to say, you have offered polluted bread upon my altar. And then you will say, well, how have we polluted you? In that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. Sorry, I can't pronounce that word. If you were to offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your government. Will he be pleased with you? Will he accept it? So here, God is again going into this dialogue. You are giving me the worst of what you have. You're giving me your leftovers. You're not giving me the best you have. And I love how he explains it. Like, you were giving me your blind. You were giving me your lame. And he was like, try it out. Give it to your um, governors. Would they accept that? Would they accept that? So here, it's almost like God was trying to tell his people, you have treated me worse than your local officials. You have, sh- you have despised me more than the heathen. And it continues on. And now I pray you, beseech God, that he will be gracious unto us. This has been in your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors? Neither do you kindle fire on the altar for nothing. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept the offering at your hand. So here, God is going into even more detail. He's saying, like, do you expect me to accept this if even the people on earth would not accept it? Like, he's here going into a deeper argument of what they've done wrong. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, And in every place, incense to be offered unto my name, a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But you have profaned it, in that you say that the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit, even the meat, is contemptible. So here he's saying, like, what was God's plan He wanted his name to be glorified, to be a pure name, to be a light. It says here to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. And then what is he said? However, that's not what's happening. Because you are neglecting my house, because you are neglecting my people, it is now profane. And I think in my mind, there is no other word that can be said worse than profane. What is profane? Like to me, I think that is the harshest word of something that is not pure. I don't think there's any other word in the English vocabulary that means something worse than that. And here God is saying, it is profane what you have done to my house. Let me see. And I love how it says in verse 13, how the people justify this. You have said, behold, what a wariness it is, and you have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. You have brought that which was torn, the lame and the sick. You have brought as an offering. Shall I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which has in his flock a male, and vows and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. So here God is saying like he is more respected among the heathen. What warning is this verse to us now in 2022? Where is when we analyze ourselves, how we treat the house of God, how we treat what God has given us? are we showing honor to his name or are the heathen showing more honor? I think there's so many stories in the Bible where the pagans have shown more respect to God than his own people. I think of the story of Jonah when the sailors were battling to win and uh, the storm just got worse and worse and they were praying to their God and Jonah was just doing nothing. Not only was he not, like he didn't want to even admit it was his fault that this was happening to begin with. And it wasn't until later when Jonah was thrown into the sea and it took Jonah a while to finally confess his sin before God. But what were the pagan sailors doing? They were praying to God. They were praying to Jonah's God. They were thanking him for his mercy and his grace. And then I think of all the stories where we are reproved because of those who know less than us. And how often us who know so much, we think we know so much, but like Revelation says, we're blind, we're mute, and we don't even know it. So I just found that story was just incredible how the group, the, the people in Malachi's day was doing so many of these things. There's another story in the Bible, something similar, where God has refused to accept an offering. Can you guys think of it? They did not accept Cain's offering. So let's find out what was going on with that one. I'm sure we know the story, but it never never hurts to reread the Bible. So let's go to Genesis 4. Genesis 4. Genesis 4, and we're going to read verses 3 to 7. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock And of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he did not respect. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? For if you have done well, would you not have been accepted? And if you did not do well, then sin is at your door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. So what was the story here? What was going on in this story? What was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? It wasn't what God said. said, Thank you. And I think when we go back to this phrase, bring ye all the tithes, it doesn't necessarily need to be about your tithes. It can be your offerings, something that God has asked you to give all of. And us, like Cain, we can make the decision of, well, I don't want to give this up, but I'll give this up instead. It's more convenient for me. Or we can do what Ananias and Sapphira did, and instead of giving all that God has asked, they only give a portion. Or like the people in Malachi were doing, bring him the worst of the worst. So we look, So just looking at this one word, bring ye all, of the tithes, we looked at three different Bible stories. We looked at the story of Cain and Abel. We looked at the story of Ananias and Sapphira and the story of Malachi. And here we see just how much depth there is in just one little word, one little meaning. And I just want to ask, can we serve God with partial effort? No. So when we look at bring ye all the tithes, we can almost word this bring all that you have to him. Bring all that you are. Put him first before anyone else. And I find this very beautiful because I think of the story of when I was a younger, there was this children's story that would go around where this little girl, she earned, I think it was $2. She earned $2. And then she said in her heart that this dollar she was going to go buy her ice cream and then this dollar she was going to give to the church. And as she was running over to go to the ice cream stand, she dropped one dollar into the, uh, like a mud hole. Like, like you know, like those hole like what's it called, like a drain? A drain, and it fell in. And no matter what she do, she could not get that dollar out. So she stood back up and she looked up to God and she was like, God... I'm sorry, but that was the dollar I was going to give you. So she continued on her way, and her other dollar, she bought her ice cream. But I wanted to ask, how often do we do the same thing? It may not be in tithes. It may not be in offerings. It may be in our time. It may be in our first thought when we wake up in the morning, our last thought at night. Do we leave God as an afterthought? How many of us in moments of weakness, in moments where we forgot God and we put him last, this is the same warning that God is saying here, you have to put all or nothing. The whole effort must go into this. Because like I told you earlier, partial service is not going to work. Partial dedication does not work. Like those people who enter college, there's two types of students, those who know exactly what degree they want, and those who are like, we'll see see what happens. And usually for those people, it takes a long time to get a degree because they don't put their effort, they don't put 100% in, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. They're like, oh, we'll go with the flow, we'll go with what's convenient, what's easy. But we know as Christians that does not work. Alrighty, so now we're going to look at, hold on, we're going to go back. Now we're going to focus on the word tithe. Now I think as Adventists, we know this word pretty well. What is a tithe? What is a tithe? It's what belongs to God, it's what belongs to God. exactly. So this particular verse right here is talking specifically about the tithe. And we know uh, what number is a tithe? It's a 10%. Yep. And I actually got here the Hebrew word which I'm not going to try to pronounce but I think it's like ha-ma-asir, which is the word for the tithe. It means the 10th. It means the 10%. And as we see throughout the entire Bible, 10% of what people had was very important to God. It was 10% of anything they gained, if it was animals, crops, silver, coin, um even just, I think, was it lives like everything that was gained was given as a tithe. If the ten percent was given as tithe. And this one's a little easier, but let's move on. Actually, let me read something else. Let's go to Genesis twenty-eight. It's one of the uh, one of the earliest verses where it mentions the tithe. Genesis twenty-eight. And we're going to read verse 22. 22. And now this is Jacob. This is Jacob after he went through all of his trials, all of his tribulations, and he came out the victor. And here he says a beautiful, beautiful um, promise that he gives to God. So Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to read from uh, verse 20 to 22. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on me, so that I can come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give you the tenth unto thee. I find this oath so beautiful because here he is saying, God, if you're with me, if you're with me and you keep me the ways that I go, when you give me everything that I need and that you will bring me home in peace, I promise you, this is your home. He made him a home and I will give you 10% of all that I have. And I think this was the earliest event of the tithe, and I just find it amazing because today in our day, is God with us? God is with us, yes. Does God guide us where we go? Yes. And is it God's goal to bring us back home to heaven? Yes. So even this oath that Jacob swore can be ours, this promise that God has given That he is going to provide for us. He will give us more than we need. But anyway, that was very beautiful. Now, there is more to it than just the tithe, um, as Malachi is going to tell us. So let's go back to the book of Malachi. Like I said, we're going to be spending most of our time in Malachi. And then we're going to be reading verses 7 through 9, the verses before. So Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And I want you to ask yourself as we read this, what is God saying? What is happening here? So Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. From, even from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances, and you have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. So here, God is giving them another, not another accusation, but another thing they're doing wrong. Like, since the beginning, your parents, your fathers, your forefathers have not obeyed me. And then again, this defense of the people, like, how have we not obeyed you? How have we not obeyed you? And then God is going to tell them in what they have not obeyed. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. So here God is again saying this dialogue, you have robbed me. And again, the people are like, what? How have we robbed you? In the tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. In my mind, just just think about this for a moment. Robbing God robbing God just think uh, if we were to try to rob a bank a bank is nowhere near the same level as God and yet what are the punishments from rubbing, robbing from a bank jail and usually you're going to be in jail for the rest of your life I remember uh, when I was studying some basic laws in nursing school how we were studying that taxes taxes if you don't pay your taxes, they can actually hold our license. Like my nursing license is dependent on me being a citizen. And the moment that I do any legal issues, my license gets put on hold. So it's amazing how even in our society, there are such, like, such harsh laws for robbery or such harsh laws for not paying our dues. And here God is saying, you have robbed me. And when I read this, I was shocked, at least mentally, because I was like, I'm pretty sure as I grew up, there were a few dollars that I earned here and there that I robbed God. Because I remember several times where I would earn like that $20 bill they'd gift you for your birthday or the $10 bills, and I never gave a part of that to God. I just used it for my own, like, okay, let's go use up the $20 bill I just earned. And yet, as I read the Old Testament, I see how the people who were so grateful, so happy, that they gave everything they had. And it made me realize just how much I had to grow in Christ and how much God had to help me. But what I found amazing in these verses that I read, even though when God gives him the accusation like of all that they have done, what is God asking them to do? Come back to me. He's asking them, just come back. If you come back to me, I will come back to you. And it's this, this amazing faithfulness that no matter what we have done, no matter how much wrong we've done, God is always asking us to come back and that he will come back with us. And I just know how, um, at least for myself, when someone wrongs you and they ask for forgiveness, it's easy to forgive them the first time. But when they do the same mistake and ask for forgiveness, it becomes harder as it like the second, the third, the fourth. It gets harder and harder as it goes on. But here we see how patient God has worked with his people, how he has patiently sent prophet after prophet, trying to get them to open their eyes to see what they're doing. And it's amazing to me because it looks here almost like he's begging them. He's like begging them, please come back to me and I'll give you more. But that was just pretty cool to me. But all right, let's move on to the next couple of words. How is my time? How much time do I have left? I have ten minutes left. OK, I'm going to speed it up. All right, so we're going to speed. I have 15. All right, I'm going to speed this up. I'm sorry, I think I'm getting too caught up in my own notes here. So the next word I want us to focus actually is the whole phrase that there might be meat in my house or that there may be food in my house. And I remember growing up and them telling me that, does God really need your money? And and their answer would be like, no, he could make money jump out of the rocks if he wanted to. Like, it's for yourself. That's why you give the tithe. But when I studied this phrase here, it made me realize that's not completely true. I want us to turn to, hold on, Nehemiah. Let's turn to the book of Nehemiah, and I want us to look at chapter 13, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through 12. I want us to see what was happening here when the people were not paying their tithe and offerings. Something was happening, and it was affecting them. Let me see. Give me a second. Chapter 13. Yes, chapter 13. Chapter 13, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through 12. Hold on a moment. All righty. i will read it. And I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and the musicians responsible for the services had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their ports. And all Judea brought the tithes of the grain, the new oil, the new wine, I'm sorry, and the olive oil into the storehouse. So here there was a time um, just after Israel was freed from Babylon, where they were restoring back to their uh, kingdom, where Nehemiah finds out that God's people, like his servants, his servants, messenger like the people who were in charge of the church service the people who were in charge of the singing like the people in charge of his service his temple were not being given the tithes and offerings so that they actually had to neglect the church so that they could earn enough money to work at the church so this was actually a situation that was happening and as i read this part of the verses it made me realize that when we are not doing our part when we are not a part of the body of Christ, when we're not functioning as we should, someone is actually affected. The house of God is actually affected. And for me, when I studied these verses, it made me realize how little I actually knew about this verse. Because I remember growing up of them always telling me, like, God doesn't actually need your money. He needs your spirit. He needs you to to um, give with a good heart. He needs you to get, like, a, what's that word? Like God could make money jump out of anywhere if he wanted to. But he wants us to do our part. And here in this story that I read, I find out how if it happened back then, it's probably happening now. Uh, My church that I'm from, we are maybe 10 members faithful. Maybe. Usually it's like 5 to 8. But if we're having a good group, we can get to 10. And... We are all that is there to sustain that church. The ten of us is it. And I remember how one of our um, church members he he told the pastor, like, Pastor, I don't have money. I don't work, but but I'll bring you all. Like, I'll bring you the food that I grow. And the pastor was very grateful to him because he was like, that's a blessing in itself. And the pastor actually shared that money with some other church members who didn't have any food. So it was pretty amazing how even in today's day, this this need of the tithe, this need of offering, this need to help each other, to help the church of Christ grow is still so relevant. It's so real. It's so now. Um, So that was pretty interesting. And then... After I had studied these few verses, I wanted to go and see what the spirit of prophecy said about the tithes and offerings. And she says a lot. Like, I think I was shocked. Um, I spent, I think it was like four or five days just studying this verse, going word by word, the phrase by phrase. And then when I decided to see, okay, what does Ellen White say about these um, quotations? And I think most of what she said was to me was, what's the word? I don't want to say stab wounds but they definitely affected me because I realized that I have not been as careful as I should have been. So let's see. If I have 10 minutes, I'm almost out of time. So I'm going to read only a few of these. And it says here, Of all our income, we should make the first appropriation to God. In the system of benevolence um, enjoyed upon the Jews, they were required either to bring to the Lord the first fruits of all his gifts, whether in the increase of their flocks or herds or in the produce of their fields, orchards or vineyards, or they were to redeem it by substituting an equivalent. How changed the order of things in our day? And even for myself, my offerings and tithes, and this is one thing I realized that I was doing wrong and I'm trying to fix it. For me, paying tithe and offering was an afterthought. Usually after a couple months I would look at my, uh, the money I earned, and I'd be like, okay, I probably should pay my tithes and offerings now. So I'll get my 10% from the last three months, and I'll pay it. And then in my mind, I thought I was good because I was paying my tithe, I was paying my offerings. But as I see here how the Bible says the first fruits, how Ellen White says it should be our first duty, I realized that even though I was paying the right money, even though I was paying the whole amount, it wasn't the first thing I thought of it was an afterthought. So in my personal life, I was realizing, okay, I need to start making this more intentional. I need to start putting God first. And this last um, couple of pay periods, I've been putting God first. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to do this first. I'm going to do this first. I'm going to donate money so we can help build this, help build that. And it's changed me so quickly when I did this, because We're thinking, we're putting God first. Everything else just falls in line. So that was pretty, another thing I learned. Let's see. Okay, here we go. So here Ellen White describes why it was important. The Lord's requirements and claims, if they receive any attention, are left to the last. Yet our work needs tenfold more meaning now than was needed by the Jews. The great commission given to the apostles was to go throughout the world and preach the gospel. This shows the extension of the work and the increased responsibility resting upon the followers of Christ in our day. Let me see. The majority of professed Christians part with their means with great reluctance. Many of them do not give one-twentieth of their income to God, so they're not even giving like Half of the requirement, because God required the 10%, one-twentieth is less than that. So they're giving even less, like a micro percent. And many give even less than that. While there is a large class who rob God of the little tithe, and others will give only the tithe. So there's some who are robbing God in tithe. There were some robbing them in the offerings. And then this made me like self-reflect, like, I have, I I owe God more than I could ever repay. And as I thought back to all the money I have earned that I didn't pay tithe on, it made me realize just how much I have actually robbed God and how little of an example I have been to my my fellow co-workers. And uh, it was a solemn thought for me when I studied this. And I also like this one because I'm going to admit, I was this when I was younger. I used this as an excuse, so I'm going to read it. The followers of Christ should not wait for a thrilling missionary appeals to arouse them to action. If spiritually awake, they would hear in the income of every week, whether much or little, the voice of God and of conscience with authority demanding the tithe and offerings due the Lord. And again, this, made, this again targeted me specifically because I remember like, well, if someone mentions in church that they need money for a project, I'll give it. But I didn't make an effort to do it. And as I saw here, it made me realize how spiritually asleep I was, how little I actually knew, how little I actually cared about the mission of the church. So that was also a pretty important quote for me. And then here it goes on to talk about how heaven is interested in the salvation of man and that heaven is waiting for us also to be interested in the salvation of our own people. So it was just showing us of how important God saw this work. And, uh, and then this comment, I had to, I'm going to have to read it to you guys. It says, one of the greatest sins in the Christian world of today is the disassembling and the covetousness in dealings with God. And I remember, when was it? We ha- our church just finished a ten days of prayer, and one of my co uh, one of our church members, she mentioned this. She was like, she mentioned it like in her co- talk. Like it just made me realize these past ten days, I have asked more of God than I have given back. She's like, I'm asking God for being healthy. I'm asking God to help me with my daughter. I'm asking God to do this and this and that. And then she said, and like, but then I always don't. But I always feel like crying whenever I want to donate to the church. Like she's like, I didn't want to give up my money that I wanted to use to buy more food. I didn't want to use up my money to buy this. Um, and for her, this was a real struggle. Um, I live in a place where most people can't work just because of how they live. Um so all they earn is the government paycheck that comes once a month, which is about two hundred and some dollars per person in the family. So that's all their money. They have to survive on that money. And then she uh told us that she didn't want to give ten percent of that two hundred dollars because she says, like, I would use up those two hundred dollars in the first two weeks just buying food, just gassing up my car. So For her, this was a very strong challenge to realize that she was being covetousness with what God had given her. And then she uh, told us in prayer meeting that she was going to start doing this and that she was asking for prayers. So that was pretty um, real life experience of how other people can really struggle with this idea. But alrighty, I'm going to move on because I'm out of time. Now this one, we're going to go really fast because I'm running out of time. So prove me now, says the Lord of hosts. What is that? If you were going to use layman's terms, what is God saying? Test me. Test me. Or, or prove me wrong. I like that one. Prove me, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. And I find this amazing because I think in all of our lives here, aren't we blessed when we bless God first? When we put God first, Doesn't this come to life, that God has not asked us anything that he has not done himself? In Acts 14, 17, it reads, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And here we see God has blessed everybody, even though we didn't deserve it. He has given us more than we need it, even when we don't deserve it. But this promise that God has given in this verse is more than just a promise that he'll bless us. There is so much more to it than that. For I, w- for I will not open, like basically he said, sort of test me. For I will open the windows of heaven that there will not be enough to accept them. But I wanted us to focus on his windows of heaven. Opening the windows of heaven. The Bible, I was looking, when, again, like I told you, when I was studying this, I was looking at how God or the Bible used the same words um, throughout the Old Testament. The same phrase, windows of heaven, is used both negatively and positively in the Bible. Um, one of the negative uses of windows of heaven was when God sent rain for the flood. It says he opened the windows of heaven and it rained down on the earth. It was judgment. Another time when it was used negatively was in Isaiah, hold on. Those verses in Isaiah 24 where they were describing a desolate destroyed world that he had opened the floodgates of heaven. It was this destruction. But it's destruction of the wicked. But for God's people, the windows of heaven have a different meaning. In Malachi 3:10, like we just read, it is showers of blessings not floods, showers of blessings. It's, not, it's going to be so much we can't handle it. And even in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 12, it's the same thing. It's this blessing for those who will follow him. And you guys can write that down to read it later. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to move on. But it's just amazing how what to God's people is a blessing. To those who do not follow God, it's a curse. I think of how uh, in Revelations, it talks about how when God comes in the clouds, God's people are like, this is the moment. This is what we have been waiting for, for all this time. This is our hope, our Lamb of God. But what are the people doing at the same event? They're scared, they're running, and they know that they're not in the right. I also think of the story um, that we're actually talking about in Sabbath school when uh israel was trapped between the red sea and the mountains and the army of the egyptians was coming the bible describes that god sent a dark cloud to blind the egyptians so they they could not see but then in that very same verse it says but to the israelites what they saw was fire so to those who were not with god what they saw was darkness But those who are with Jesus, with God, they saw his light. They saw his glory. They saw his protection. So that was something very beautiful there as well. And I will pour out for you such blessings that there will not be enough room to receive them. How many blessings is that? Has any, in our lives, have we ever gotten to the point that we could say, okay, God, I have enough blessings now. I'm good. Have we ever gotten to that point? Showers and showers and showers showers of blessings has been promised to us. It is a promise. And we know that God keeps his promises. Because just like even in the very book of Malachi, it says, I do not change. That is why you're still alive. Like that's what he said in the book of Malachi. So we're going to finish our closing thoughts because I'm out of time. Ephesians 1.3 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. Amen. God has promised us every spiritual blessing. Nothing will he leave out. I think of the most famous Psalms where he says, My cup runneth over. That is what God has promised us, a cup that runs over. All right, and we don't have time, but you can take pictures of those verses and read them. They're amazingly beautiful. It's about the promises that God has given us of how much he wants to bless us, how much he wants to give us. Um, But definitely read those in your time off, especially since I am out of time. All right, so quick phrases. We're going to quickly summarize the meaning of these verses. Bring all the tithes into the storehouses that there may be food in my house. What does that, ver- that phrase mean to you now? When you see the depth in that verse, bringing all of it, not partial service, bringing it to God's house so that he will have food. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Think about what that means now, studying what God means, what God wants to give us, and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be enough room to receive them. We are a blessed and chosen people. God wants to give us so much blessings that we don't know what to do on. But just like the people in Malachi, we have done a lot of things that have separated us from God. We have done a lot to separate. If you guys have time, please study the book of Malachi. He talks about how both the priests have done wrong, that they have polluted his offerings, that they have not given what he has asked. And then he goes to the people and is like, you have not done what I have asked you to do. You are robbing me. You are robbing not only my... Now, you're not only robbing God, you're robbing his people. You're robbing the poor in your land. Let me see. So comparing... So this was a comparison that I wrote, and again, it's not detailed because, again, I wrote this pretty quickly last night, comparing how God was and how the people were in the book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, God shows and proves that he has been faithful, that he has loved us, that he wants to give us peace, life, purity, the law of truth, knowledge. He wants to rescue us. He wants to heal us. And then in the same book, it tells us what we have been doing. We have been doubting God's love. We have been treating him worse than a governor or even a merchant. We have been robbing him and man. We have been corrupting the truth, and we have been unfaithful in our dealings with him. And it's just amazing as we see, despite this, the last couple chapters of Malachi is God trying to woo us back trying to bring us back into the fold trying to say look what i have done for you i would do so much more if you'd let me so i pray that as we go about this sabbath that we will that we'll take a moment and we'll reflect and we'll ask god to send the holy spirit on us to think about where have i been unfaithful where could i do more is there a part of my life where I have not given 100% to God? Is there a part, have I by my actions shown doubt of what God has given me? And I just want to ask if you guys, I only covered a little bit of what I studied because I think I told my parents last night, like, I could easily make this three parts because to summarize the whole book of Malachi into one verse is nothing. So I just wanted to ask you guys, as the rest of the Sabbath blooms, that you go deeper into this word of Malachi, that you ask God to reveal which part of this book talks to you personally so that you can grow closer to God. And ask yourself as you study, who am I in this story? Am I being the faithful one? Or am am I being unfaithful in some part of my life? So let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the blessings that you have given us, Lord, in the Bible. Thank you for the richness and for the depth of your scripture, Lord, that even in the verses we grew up with, there is so much more we don't know, so much more that we can go in depth and learn to the true meaning of it, Lord. Lord, we ask that as we go about this Sabbath, that you will send the Holy Spirit on us, that you will give us open minds and open hearts, Lord, so we can confess before you that we need to repent and be saved. Lord, thank you so much that even though that the whole book of Malachi you were telling the people all that they had done wrong, you have always put in a way of escape. You have always given them hope. You've said, please come back to me and I'll come back to you, Lord. Thank you so much for your unending grace and mercy. And Lord, we ask that we study your word and not just, uh, Be sayers, but doers also, Lord, that we can apply what we read and that we could appreciate the precious truths you have given us. Because, yes, even in the Old Testament when they had the prophets and they had all these people they could go to for wisdom, we have something far more than they. We have your Holy Scripture and we have your Son, Jesus Christ. We have seen with our own eyes, we have read what he has done, Lord, and what you want us to do. And Lord, we ask that you be with us in our journey as we strive to be more and more like you so that we can aim higher and to aim for the best of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.